Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw. I'm always Jeff Openshaw. I'm here for you this week. Uh, we had the sisters last week. I missed you all, but I'm grateful once more to be with you. If you join us at thisweekinmormons.com, you can read blogs and see the show notes to this episode, see a video of it right now with me and my co-host, who I'll introduce in a second. You can do all these things at our website. You can also go join us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on patreon.com slash thisweekinmormons, where you can join the Inside Cool Club for $2 a month. And you know who does that? You know who is one of our patrons? My co-host this week, Kurt Frankham of Leading Saints. What's up, buddy? That's right, Jeff. I've taken a, an extra job in order to uh, fill out right. my Patreon check every every month to send to uh, Twim. Yes. And uh, keep keep your production going. Keep it moving. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> That's right. That's Just right. making sure so, my gain was loud enough. I feel like I can't see myself. You sound uh, great on, uh, through through my earbuds, Jeff. So Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing splendidly. Uh, we're here in the... The end, nearing the end of spring, aren't we? It's been a lovely time. Memorial Day, it's been actually chilly and cold. Um, I took my kids camping for the first time last weekend. And that was, so we went out to Assateague Island, which is a barrier island shared by Maryland and Virginia on the Atlantic Ocean. And it's famous because it's, we, we stayed at the National Park Service, Assateague National Seashore. And there are wild horses that live there in this part of wow. the world. They, they're just Did you actually wild. see some? Yeah, so it's funny because that's that's part of the allure. Is on you're also you're right on the beach. Like we camped on the sand. We pitched a tent in uh, next to sand dunes, just on oh, the sand beautiful. and had a campsite and stuff. So that's cool. Yeah, we were there the first night and we were talking about what we do the next day after we were just making dinner and making s'mores. And I was like, yeah, we gotta. I hope we'll see the horses. And then right when I said horses, literally that moment, my wife, she was like, honey. And some of them had come around the bend in the distance and were just grazing around the grass on the campsites and stuff. And this is the norm. They just kind of wander amongst the campers and graze. But you have to be very careful because they will eat your food. So all the tables in the campsites have stow box, like things like underneath the bench where the se- and you're supposed to lock all your stuff up. Otherwise, they will get into your business. And that night they were fine. I was sitting there making s'mores and I was worried like, are they going to come over and bug us? But they but they were fine. They kind of wandered right by our campsite and stuff. Wow. Fast forward to the next morning. Um, and after a beautiful night's sleep, when I crammed my, my wife and three of my three children into a four-man tent. Oh yeah, it's a given. When you go camping, you get wonderful sleep. It was yeah. it was dynamite. The boys slept fine, which is all that mattered. But it was a, it was a fabulous evening. I was very hungry, and my allergies were driving me crazy. And so I hopped out of the tent, grabbed a yogurt, and in this brief time where I just grabbed a yogurt and a spoon, and I had the lids on everything. All of a sudden, I, oh, I walked back over to the tent to talk to the kids. One of these horses started wandering over to our campsite. Uh-oh. And when you see this horse walking towards you, you're like, you're afraid of making sudden movements, which in my case would have been just like grabbing the cooler and just stowing stuff underneath real fast. <laughs> so you just kind of back off because you're supposed to stay 40 feet away from the horses. Then that horse, of course, signaled to the other horses. So we had about seven horses pretty much raided our campsite at about 6.45 in the morning. And... um that was fun. And so I'm watching them like they ate a bunch of like pre- peanut butter pretzels and some bread and they're getting into all of our junk. And I, I was like, oh boy. And so I'm playing hero while my wife is is inside the tent with the boys watching this happen. And I'm stuck outside. I can't get to our car because there's horses in the way. And eventually when there was enough of a gap where the horses were still all around our table, uh, our cooler, which they've been trying, they know how to open coolers. And they're sitting there. I could tell wow. they had not gotten into it yet, but it was, I could tell one more like attempt and they would pop it open and do whatever they want. Thankfully, there was a bit of a clearing and I, I ran over there. 
when I had probably just a little bit more than a hoofs kick distance from a horse and just like grab the cooler. And there was a, there was a gap to my car. And so I grabbed the cooler and I go, and I shuffle over to the van and did that. And I managed to stash some of the things, but it was pretty so hilarious. Will these, will these horses like attack you if you get close or, I mean, they're not going to attack you. Well, it's funny because there's a lot of people who go there a lot, like to acetate people who clearly uh-huh. do this every summer and bring their right. RVs and yeah. camp and like know the horses and things. A lot of them are a bunch of hicks, but, um, <laughs> This woman walks up to me and she knows the horses and she's follow, they, people follow them around. And a take horse whisperer, if you will. Kind of, yeah. And she uh, she said, you were lucky the ones near there weren't like the main stallion. They're like, he would have he, he gotten mad at you. Like Ooh. they know this horse. He would have gotten ticked off at me for taking the cooler away. But they don't like attack people, but you just kind of let them do their. So, but you don't approach them with a carrot and, and say. Well, you're never ever supposed to feed them at all. No, I mean, I felt bad that they got into some food because I'm not supposed to eat any of that at all. Yeah. But, you know, they're horses, they're wild animals, eat grass and let them be. So that was a fun run in with wildlife and giving my kids a hilarious experience. Memories, Jeff. Memories. It took me all of last week working to recover from my weekend vacation. Did your boys enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, they had a good time. They get to go to the beach. They got to make s'mores and hang out. And the horse stuff was kind of hilarious in the end. Oh, my poor youngest one um, got rolled by a wave. He's only 13 months old and he's standing there. And then the waves weren't big or anything, but it knocked him over. And I watched this happen where I'm looking down at him as this wave is rolling over him. and I'm running to him and he's like underwater looking up at me with what, with like the wave. And he's just like, ah! I grab him out and he's frantic and crying. And he has, when that happens, you're right at the sand just right. everywhere. And so I had to take him to the showers and get him all naked and the showers are not heated. So my other son's pulling the lever and it's freezing. And oh. my, my one-year-old's like screaming while I'm trying to get <laughs> all the sand off of him. Um, and my, my wife, Danielle was not with us at the time. And she was like, dude, I can hear like babies screaming across the entire camp. <laughs> and she knew that cry. Poor kid. But uh, anyways, so it was good. It was fun. We had a good time. And I'm uh, lots going on here. A couple of weeks are going out to Arizona. My sister's getting married. So that'll be fun. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Super. Nice. Good job, Melanie. We love you. You're a super fan. Very excited for your wedding. And, you know, M- Melanie's never been a co-host on Twim. No, she hasn't. She's been a behind the scenes person. Oh, you don't want you don't want her on. No, here. no. Two open shots. Not, not a good two open shots are too many. That's too, too many. We miss having your wife on here. You know, that was a good duo. She loved that. I, I could tell your wife just loves being on, on Twin. She's fine with it. Yeah. The problem is she says, she's like, I don't care about some of this stuff. Like she, if she comes on, she'll just be like, okay, whatever. <laughs> it's just not a thing. Yeah. We, I mean, we have to drum up some passion about, you know, dedicating temple districts and stuff, Jeff. You, you and I are professionals. We're That's good right. at feigning interest in all of these things for the sake of our base, right? Like you don't even care about leading Saint subject matter. You just do it because you, <laughs> you thought it was a great way to make money. I don't know. I mean, that. yeah, we're, we're going to have competing shows someday, Jeff, on, on the cable networks. I'm going to be on one and you'll be on the other and we'll just uh, drum up some passion to really get the audience going. Do. You will be on MSNBC. Oh, right? naturally. It's a natural fit for me. And I, yeah. and I will be on Fox. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm fair and balanced, and you're a, you're a radical, woke nut job. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's going to be awesome, man. Um, how, how's everything going with Leading Saints, by the way? I know oh, you've, got, man. you've got some Summit stuff going on. Tell yeah, us we're about. rocking. we got all sorts of stuff going. So uh, we're just finishing up with the Mentally Healthy Saints Virtual Summit. We, I mean, it's been – I'm just always surprised how just successful these things are. I mean – We've had 7,000 people from around the world register and people are just really appreciating the content. And as I've recorded these interviews, I, I, you know, get to the end of the interview. I'm just like, man, that was great. You know, that's so helpful. I learned a lot. And so 
um, yeah, it's been awesome. We're at the end of the, the two week uh, summit here. If people still want to, um, you know, enjoy the content, they go to leadingsaints.org slash mental health and they can find all the resources there. But res- solid, good stuff. I mean, this is this is some these are some topics we don't talk enough about. And so to just facilitate yeah. these conversations has been eye opening for me. It's been great. And you can also become, I forgot what you call it. I always want to say a sustaining member, but whatever your, your core paid, leader, Jeff, your core leader library, you get full access to everything. When That's you're right. Core leader. Yeah. Just become a subscribing donor, just like, a, you know, maybe a Patreon type of, yeah. I mean, you have an app. Uh, well, it's a, it's Kajabi, but uh, we use the Kajabi what, app. I don't know what that means, but I'm assuming it means it's just porting. It's just giving you like a mobile web version. That yeah. Yeah. Well, Kajabi's like a, a, a a company that facilitates, like if you have an online course, right? You have a cooking, a yeah. 10 class cooking course, you can use the Kajabi app to really make it easy. So we use that to put all our content there. And then it's really easy to consume on the go. And you have, you know, all the videos and the downloads and things like that. So yeah, it's, uh, we make it easy. Look at this empire. Look at this little empire, empire. you built yourself right. out there in Stansbury Park. That's right. My, our IPO is uh, really coming together. So. Okay. <laughs> So it's only going to be on the Utah Stock Exchange. That's though. right. That's right. That's it. It's the only place. Dude, you're living the dream. All righty. Well, well, it's been a good show. I mean, what? <laughs> Can we wrap up here, Jeff? Is that? No, no. I want to talk about the thing that we were texting each other about last night. Ooh. So, cause, because coming out this week in primarily Latter-day Saint markets, I assume, mostly just Utah. Maybe it's happening in Idaho or parts of Arizona. I don't know. But it is on June 4th this week. You, the much ballyhooed film Witnesses will That's be right, released. Yeah. We watched it I, together. Pretty much, yeah. I have seen this publicized for quite some time now. They've, they, I think they got they did some of this with crowdfunding. I think I know it's been it's put together by the Interpreter Foundation, which is a Daniel Peterson jam. Yeah. Um, and so it's witnesses. It's a dramatization of the story of. I'd say primarily the three witnesses, but Joseph Smith himself is, of course, also a witness to everything. Right. And so it talks about all four of these men. And Kurt and I were lucky enough to see a screener of it before it came out. And we're going to tell you all about it today. That's right. It's very very fresh in our mind. Spoiler alert. They all get X'd. Sorry, folks. That does indeed happen. (laughs) But it's Um, interesting to hear the... uh, Are we going into it right now, Jeff? Do we, we launch into this? Well, that's why I set it up. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's how this works usually. I mean, we can change subjects entirely if you want. No, Go ahead. no. Uh, I mean, how many stars are you giving this, Jeff? I mean, not to put you on the spot. I, I wasn't right. thinking stars. I'm going like B, B minus. Okay. A letter right. grade. And, uh, and, it, it, it was, and it, it we're was, thinking in the realm of like a Latter-day Saint film mm. world, right? I mean, B, B plus or... No, no, no. I'm giving it that objectively. I mean, if it's, if it's Latter-day Saint stuff... Yeah, maybe if you're strictly through that lens, maybe a, a B plus yeah. is fine. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, I think you described it the best to me. I don't know if you want to use the language you <laughs> well, did, but, but I <laughs> no, think you, I think you hit it pretty well. No, this could be filmed very useful in like a future, you know, high school seminary class, things like that. And, and I don't mean to, I don't mean that sound that degrading, but it's just, uh, you know, it's just a solid historic, like beat by beat of some things that transpired with these witnesses and, and it pulls it all together. I appreciated that, you know, they didn't shy away from the the stone in the hat translation, you know, yeah. seer stone. There's even some, uh, uh, what's her name? Fanny. Uh, Fanny Alger. Alger, yeah. Fanny Alger was mentioned. She, in she it. herself does not show up. That's no. a pretty brief little scene. They, 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 it seems like they went out of their way not to sit on that one too much. Right, but, right. Uh, 
but uh, obviously that played into Oliver Cowdery uh, so separation from the church. And yeah. uh, so it just, I felt like it was just well done as far as historically speaking. Uh, it's tough. You know, I, I imagine they're on limited budgets. And so I sort of was hoping for more of a, of a moment when, you know, the witness of the golden plates actually happened, but it was sort of like an off camera light uh, that was shining, but you know, you get the point it happened. Yeah. And then you see, you know, just the, the David Whitmer, you know, I sort of forgot some of those details of David, David Whitmer's um, uh, journey uh, out of what well, was he. So, so the movie is framed. Um, but Elder David Whitney is sort of a new, it's almost like the mountain of the Lord. It's, it's, it's similar to that in a few ways. It's like a journalist is visiting with someone yeah, yeah. and having them recount their history. Their history. Yeah. And so um, I don't know if that part's rooted in fact, if, if there's an actual, if, I mean, my, my guess is there might be many facts and they kind of amalgamated it into a single instance with a journalist spending all night with David Whitmer in his barn to recount yeah. the tale. But then they quoted from some article at the end. So I guess some type of article was written, right? There's some truth behind it. I don't know what yeah. the particulars are of it, right? Right. So that was sort of the framing device. And I guess David Whitmer makes the most sense, I think, because he even outlived Martin Harris, right? I mean, Oliver Cowdery died in 1850 when he was younger. He got sick. Um, I forget which one outlived which. but I, uh, I think you're right, though. David Whitmer. Because because yeah. Martin Harris was also older than the rest. So mm-hmm. presumably he died earlier than the others. And he was in Utah. And, this, and David Whitmer stayed in Missouri. He lived in Richmond, Missouri. So I thought, I'm with you. I thought it was well done. It did in many ways seem not too far off from like the old Doctrine and Covenants videos that we used to watch in seminary, you know, that had all the different... The difference was this was a, a complete through story as opposed right. to those which were a bunch of different vignettes of periods in church history, but it still had some of that vibe. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, budgets being what they are. I mean, this is made, this is put forth by the interpreter foundation, not a ton of money in it. And it's also really hard though. I think when you're making movies like this, because it's not meant to be strictly just entertaining or art, like films like this are done to evangelize. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a big part of the, and that, that also makes it hard because I think it's difficult to make films that are at the same time, have a great artistic merit, but also are what well, some might just call, you know, propaganda ish right. in one form or another, positive or negative. But, you know, they have a mission in that sense. Yeah. They're trying to push something. I felt like at times they were trying to target maybe or make it more of a, 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 a broad movie that, you know, non Latter day Saints could appreciate. Yeah. But I really felt like they'd be, there's a lot of details they skimmed over here that maybe would have confused someone who's not overly familiar with the church and its history. But Yeah, I could see that too. And some stuff, even for me, kind of midway, I would say some of the editing got a little out there. Like when you're dealing with, first you mentioned Fanny Alger and then the Kirtland Safety Society, for right. example, which is a big issue in Kirtland. Then they sort of jump straight from that to um, excommunications and things going south and all this and that with zero mention of the fact that everyone fled Kirtland to f- avoid arrest. And then all of the, like if you're watching it, you would assume all of these excommunications and Sidney Rigdon's salt speech, which is famous, the salt sermon, uh-huh. all happened in Kirtland. That's almost the way it seems. But all of that happened in Missouri. Right. Yeah. All that stuff happened in Missouri. I mean, I believe Martin Harris was excommunicated in absentia, if I'm not mistaken, and the other, and in, and in real life. Whitmer and Cowdery were present in Missouri when all of that happened. It's like little things like that. Cause I remember watching, it, I was like, I'm pretty sure this happened in Missouri. Why do I feel like we're still in Kirtland? Yeah. Right they they really um, were packing a lot into the time that, you know, trying to keep it in think, a, a yeah, feature length movie. But. And I think that either whether they filmed that and decided to leave it on the cutting room floor or they did not, I think it suffers a little bit from that in that they, they could have added an extra 10 minutes perhaps to kind of pad out some of the elements. So it made a little bit more sense where we were going with things, but, yeah. uh, 
You know, well, I, I, I appreciated the uh, the Joseph Smith actor, Paul Wuthrich. I think this is his debut. Uh, oh, he's huge. Joseph Smith. He is a gorgeous man. <laughs> I mean, As Joseph Smith was, right? If, Joseph Smith had a big nose and a limp, but he... Um, <laughs> and he combed his hair weird to cover up the the poison spots or whatever. Yeah, see, but uh, I, I think, yes. So Paul Wuthrich, let's look at IMDb. He's got some nice pictures of himself with longer hair. I I wish I'd interviewed somebody who made this movie. I don't know if all the actors are members of the church. He is. For passion reasons or if they're, yeah, I don't, you know. Oh, I would yeah, he say was also, the vast majority are, yes. He was also in The Fighting Preacher. He played Sidney Rigdon in Joseph Smith, American Prophet. So good times. Also, the guy who plays David Whitner, Michael Zucola, looks like Rob Schneider. And I can't unsee that when you look at him. <laughs> Great! Now you ruined it for me, Jeff. I thought I, the first time I saw the the first time I saw the poster for this film, I was like, "Is Rob Schneider in this movie? <laughs> That's a career turn." <laughs> wow, he's really uh, scraping for work. <laughs> I guess, man. And so I don't know who's who's Latter Day Saint, who's not. But the cast is good. I mean, Caleb J. Spivak plays Oliver Cowdery. I don't know if he's Latter Day Saint, but you can find a shirtless photo of him on IMDb. Everybody, <laughs> a few of them actually. So I don't know what he's trying to do, but there's a great picture. Of, here I'm gonna, you see the chat in Zencaster? I don't know if you do, but um, I do not. Oh, I forgot. Zencaster's got the thing broken. Anyway, he's topless and just drinking some Starbucks. It's a great picture of him. That's what you need for your headshots. <laughs> a- That's all. So I don't know who's involved. All in all, like a, a fine film. I imagine this will be the classic case where Latter day Saint Faithful are going to sc- run onto IMDb and try to boost it. And it's going to have like a 9.8 and be the highest rated film on the entire website until all the haters show up and give it one star because they're going to call it propaganda and lies. And this is what happens with most churchy related productions. Like yeah. But Hey, I would, I would encourage people to go check it out the way I see it. Like, okay, listen, we're not, we're not going to hear about this movie in the next year's Oscars or anything, but the reality is, is like, if we want more high quality production of movies related to our, historical or cultural experience in the church. Like we got to support these movies and actually a a really cool thing they're doing. I think this is a result of some of the uh, things movie theaters had to do during COVID. But if you go to their, their website, witnessesfilm.com, you can click on buy a private screening. And basically if you're anywhere in the, in the country or world, I assume if Cinemark is outside of our country, but Cinemark theaters, you can basically go through that link. They have you fill out some things. And then I think it's like 99 bucks. You can rent out the theater, invite the whole ward and watch this, fill, fill the theater. Even, even if it's not on the marquee outside, don't fill the theater unless you're vaccinated people. I just want to remind everyone the pandemic is not over, but thank you, Kurt. Continue. Right. I'm just saying this is a result of what what's happened during the, the pandemic. But, uh, so to me, it's like an awesome, like simple ward activity, especially people yeah. who are looking to get back into theaters and things. Go there, get a private screening and uh, wherever you're at with a Cinemark theater and make it a cool ward activity. Learn some cool history about the witnesses. So um, my question is, Jeff, will they have a sequel about the eight witnesses? They could. I was sort of, they didn't even allude to the eight witnesses, did they? No, they didn't. One thing I was glad they did, I don't want to spoil the movie, but... I got a little confused when the the three witnesses are presented the plates, right? You know, because the historical record is not that all three of them saw it at once. 
Okay, that's what we understand. In the movie, this is initially what happens. But so if you know what happens, Martin Harris kind of recuses himself and thinks he's the reason why it's not happening. And I believe that's true to fact. Uh-huh. Um, and then that's kind of like the end of it. And I was like, are they just like leaving this out? Like, wh- where's Martin Harris? It's uh-huh. it's dealt it's dealt with. But right. I was like, yeah, I thought that was like the the redeeming part of the film. Yeah, but at first I was kind of like, uh, that's a pretty big whiff right there. If we're uh, <laughs> <laughs> Poor Martin. Uh, poor Martin. Martin Lincoln. What's his face? Does a good job as Martin Harris. He's, yeah, he does. does some of the, some of the more solid. Yeah, he action. usually does sort of the goofy comedic roles that I've seen him in. Right, and uh, also the one I love, Scott Christopher. Thrilled to see him in anything. He's the one who plays uh, David Whitmer's dad, David Whitmer Senior. Right, Peter Whitmer, David Whitmer. I, I'm, yeah. I'm look I'm, so. I only like him because I watched the RM a few weeks ago when I was in the Outer Banks, and he plays this bizarre prosecutor in the bizarre court case that never should happen in the first place in that movie <laughs> and it's like the most bizarrely over the top straight it's for comedic effect my favorite role of his is uh mind. mobsters and mormons is that what it was called or oh geez this there's a reason people don't like it. and he was and he, the yeah. bishop right <laughs> i i don't know i stopped working at deseret book in 2005 you've never seen I, mobsters and mormons jeff no kurt i have standards oh, come on this is pure comedy it's i mean <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I mean, I'm not here. Like, I mean, I'm not saying it's like the greatest comedic film ever, but it's worth a watch. Like next time Al's in town, you guys pop that in and. Uh, and Maybe and I'll consider that. We, I went with Al to the Outer Banks. We had a grand time nice. and we, we hung out there, And we, but we watched the RM. It was hilarious. We were like. <laughs> <laughs> so it deals it's funny watching a movie like that years later because some even some of the stuff that nowadays we're so hypersensitive about uh, about potentially racist depictions of things i'm even down to like when kirby hairborn looks through his old window and then it's a a man of east asian descent who like kung fu kicks him and they make like quack, 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 bong, and like a gong rings and stuff like that like it's stuff in 2002 or three you're like ah ha ha whatever and now nowadays, you cringe nowadays you're like eh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, or how the, the Tongan guy is like huge and fat and can't stop eating. You know, there's a lot of fun things like that. Anyway, go see, go see witnesses, folks. Not the great, not the best. It's, it's not a saints and soldiers or a best two years, but it's a, it's a good enough film. Yeah. It does, okay. and, and people are looking for reasons to, to get to the theater here. And, uh, so you have that it. reason. It's called a quiet place too, or Cruella. Yeah. Sure. I saw the quiet place too, Jeff. Highly endorse it. Fantastic movie. I mean, a little a, bit different of a feel than The Witnesses, but uh, you know, probably check it out. A it's a goodie. I like that you asked me if I saw it. I was like, you mean the movie that came out in theaters on Friday? <laughs> I guess because I had a buddy who uh, he's a no. realtor and he rented out the theater and invited me. So um, that's nice. Yeah, that's why I guess I, I'm not that eager to jump to the theater to go see things. But so, uh, w- was your buddy doing this like realtors do this? In the fact that they're, they're trying to drum up new clientele, and so they rented the movie theater. Like my realtor does that. He used to throw like. Bo- rent a bunch of lanes at a bowling alley and have food or he'd like rent out Chuck yeah, yeah. and cheese and stuff like I that. I think it's, uh, it's more of like a customer appreciation thing. Like a lot yeah, of his, yeah. his past clients come and, and uh, yeah, I, I have a few realtor friends that do that and uh, they seem to work out. Yeah, so, I like those things. If I were a realtor, I would do it too. That's right. Have you oh, thought $99. about that? It's really easy to get your license. You could, I mean, what a, what a better time than now. The market is terrible right now. <laughs> I'm glad you bought when you did. Cause if you, I, I imagined like, Imagine if you were buying a place right now, even imagine it would already have shot up a ton more than whatever you might've contracted for some time ago, just because of lumber and everything. Oh, it's, 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 so it's, when these uh, real estate conversations come up, like 
you can count it. Somebody's be like, well, let me tell you, there's this house that we, we bought our house for this much. And this house next door now went for $3.10 million. You're like, wow. Wow. Like everybody wants to share these. Utah's crazy right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny for me as a Californian born and raised to see like Utahns now posting all the time about like, dude, everything's so expensive here. I'm like, eh, well, that's what happens when you let Adobe move into town. <laughs> this, this is how it starts. <laughs> so... Nice. All right, let's uh dar, 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 dar. I don't know what do you want to talk about? Um let's uh what are, what are you the most passionate about, Kurt? I got to get to my uh, screen. Oh, here we are. Um man, I mean there's some just uh, there nothing overly controversial other than maybe uh, you want uh, you know that article, but uh I'll save that so people stream more of the episode. Let's okay. hold off on that. that. Yeah. That was a little teaser for you. We're we talking go. about Elder Cook's uh Dedicates yes. people district in Nauvoo. Yes, because we don't know what any of this means. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when I first read this headline, I'm thinking like, man, I'm in a temple district and I don't ever remember like this ceremony or this event happening to dedicate a temple district. But uh, the more I read into this, uh, it sounds like uh, Elder Cook, who he went out to Illinois, to Nauvoo, which is the, what did it say here? This is like the first travel assignment for an apostle since the pandemic started. Yes. They call and they call Nauvoo the Pearl of the Orient, the jewel of the Nile. Wow. Yeah. You can buy that on a t-shirt somewhere. Um and so Elder Cook went out there to dedicate the Nauvoo Temple uh Temple District. And as I read through this, I sort of pick up that it's the temple plus the surrounding historic area, the different buildings there. And obviously if you've ever been to Nauvoo, it is, I mean it is a historic town that uh, you can walk through and, and appreciate. And uh, they did this in, uh, I don't know if collaboration is the right word, but with the uh, community of Christ, looks like it's, uh, Elder uh, Elder uh, Lachlan Mackey, McKay, was, uh, was there from the community of Christ, their apostle, teaming up with Elder Cook to, uh, yeah, emphasize this area of the world and so i think but at the same time we were talking before i don't know if it is if it is this area of the world (laughs) but i I don't know if there's like a recent renovation that triggered the the dedication i mean obviously no who's been around a while yeah so it says the updated temple district um includes three restored homes of early latter-day saints a reconstructed home a pavilion with an exhibit about the art of cutting stone for the original nabu temple the quarries there but they got this now a revitalized west grove a wayside marker that honors a poem written by eliza r snow while she lived in the temple district in 1845 and a new exhibit about the temple in the nabu visitor center so yeah as i don't I don't get it as it's like are these all new additions to it? Because historic Nauvoo has been a thing, you know, Joseph Smith's home and the store and the Whitney house, all that, all that stuff. Right. Um, so I'm kind of with you. It's a little unclear. I wish the church, the church news would try to just clearly explain this is what is is existed. That's what, and this is what this new historic, please. What this represents. Um, so I don't fully get all that, but I think it's cool that they're adding stuff to it. There's a whole article that says, what is the Temple District of Nauvoo and why does it matter to Latter-day Saints? I don't feel like the article by Sarah Jane Weaver, bless your heart, actually explains enough about what is the Temple District of Nauvoo. It explains kind of the components of it, but what exactly this means with relation to everything else. For me, it's not exactly there. So 
I don't know. We know that Elder LeGrand Curtis says throughout the Nauvoo Temple District, the temple is the focus. The temple is the backdrop. I was like, yeah, okay. So it's not just a clever name. That's good. Um, and what about Nauvoo in the service material? It's a material witness of the restoration. It's good. I don't know. It's great though. We've dedicated some stuff in Nauvoo, I guess. Yeah. It wasn't dedicated before. So that's neat. Have you been to Nauvoo, Kurt? I have. I haven't been there. Oh, it's worth the trip for sure. So I feel like I went once on Google Street View on Google Maps, and I think that literally might have like been enough for me. No way, Jeff. I've always is- wanted to go to Nauvoo, but then as I was looking on Street View, and I was like, oh, everything's kind of spread out here. And it's just a bunch of random old houses. Just, okay. <laughs> it is striking. I mean, if you go the right time okay. of year, it's beautiful. And uh, man, you can just feel the spirit of, of Joseph and... Man, I, I highly recommend you I would, put that on your I mean, bucket I, list, Jeff. I, I, would, I would like to go there. We thought about it when we were driving out to Missouri last fall. I thought about doing a Navu detour, but too many extra hours to pull it off. And everything's closed. Was closed. Back then, everything was right. closed, right? Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm it not would have been a waste there. of time to go that way. I'm not going to go there unless sister missionaries can walk me through stuff and reenactors, and I can watch people from the community of Christ in our church like fight over who controls different sites and things like that. <laughs> There you have it. Where are we going All next, right. Jeff? A uh, quick one here. The Linden Temple has a rendering now, which weirdly I still don't see on official church channels, but I do see over at Temples of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, good old Rick Satterfield's excellent website focused on temple work. Um, so it's going to be ready ready to be shocked, everybody. A new temple in Utah, 81,000 square feet. Just once well, I want them to say, Eh, it's going to be like 20,000 square feet and it's going to be just like a one story. Nope, nope, nope. It's this big old 81,000 square foot double spire thing. I actually dig the look of this more than what I guess Layton's probably kind of similar to it. I like this more than Layton. Um, it's long and narrow to fit the footprint of the uh, of the area, but I think it's kind of cool. I like the two spire temple design. I like the bronze-ish steeple. Of course, no Moroni. I think we've kind of been through that already. And uh, the real question is, will it have two baptismal fonts as we discussed a few weeks ago on the pod because is it the salt lake temple is getting two or salt there- lake at first we thought it was just salt lake they announced salt lake was gonna have two with its renovation and that was like well that's that's novel because they're yeah. moving the entire historic baptistry of the salt lake temple they're getting rid of it and making that endowment space and the te- and the baptistries are going to be in the underground annex but plans submitted to the city reveal two baptistries for the syracuse temple that's coming up. So that's where it gets interesting. It's like, okay, is this a new thing that's going to be going on, at least in markets that have more saints like Utah? I don't know. So only time will tell. But uh, anyway, nice. what do you, I think I think it's a very, I think this is actually a pretty striking temple as far as a lot of the kind of, as I always describe them, anonymously contemporary designs for temples go. I like this one more than, more than most. Yeah, they're mixing it up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if it weren't for the way the steeples are designed... I think the rest of it would just kind of look like most of the other temples as far as the bulk of the temple, but the steeples take it to a different, I, <coughs> I can dig it. Yeah. Good job, Lyndon. <laughs> you nailed it, Lyndon. Well so, played. The missionary training centers are set to resume limited on-site training. Mm. So beginning in late June, 2021, the Provo, Ghana, and New Zealand missionary training centers are scheduled to invite a small number of missionaries to train on location. These opening dates will be evaluated weekly in May be adjusted based on local circumstances and guidelines from local health officials. So uh, there's a few uh, stipulations here. Uh, You have to have a negative COVID-19 tests uh, prior uh, to arriving. Only missionaries from the United States will 
who will not be learning a new language will receive their training on site at the Provo MTC. Um, what else? So you have to be vaccinated or have received your vaccinations. Uh, was there another one here? The number of on-site missionaries will expand gradually as COVID-19 conditions continue to improve. So hopefully yeah. uh, you'll just, you won't hear more of it. You'll just know that suddenly the MTCs are at full capacity, which will be awesome. Yeah, which is great. And it's only going to be, did you mention which MTCs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Pro, Provo, Ghana, Ghana, and New Zealand. And so they're going to be, the ones outside the US will be capped at only about 50 missionaries, which is actually, I don't know how, the Ghana MTC is a little bit bigger, but a lot of the MTCs abroad, other than like Mexico and Brazil, typically have smaller numbers like that. When I was in the MTC in Spain, I think the MTC only held like 65 missionaries tops. So um, not very big things. A lot of them are similar to that. Also, RIP Madrid MTC, you did a great job and I'm sad you're gone. This is great. I'm glad. I'm super glad that COVID's getting better and we're all doing our part to put this thing to rest yep. permanently. So I think it's perfectly reasonable that missionaries can show up and wear masks and be vaccinated and blah, 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 and do well with it. That's yeah, because awesome. that's, a, I mean, I can't imagine my mission experience without the, the MTC experience, right? That's just sort of part of the rite of passage. Yeah. Of course. I know it's got, it's, it's got to have been so different. I feel, sometimes I feel bad. Like we know, um, a young lady who went on her mission, was it the fall of like 19 or something like that? And she was supposed to go to Armenia for her mission. She'd been learning Armenian because now the church is proactively, like you start taking language courses before you even show up in the MTC, especially for tougher languages. And then COVID happened and everything. And I think she was just like home and then went to serve in like Arkansas which is all fun, but like, how would you, how would there not be this part of you that for the rest of your life would still be like, I was supposed to spend 18 months in Armenia, I know. like doing that. Right. And I would, I, I would have a really hard time, I think, kind of getting over that. I know the Lord yeah. has his plans and you still have great opportunities to serve. But if, if COVID had happened to me on my mission and I'd never got to go to Spain and I would have just spent all my time in like Illinois or something, I'm sure I would have had a great two years, but I would have always been like, but you would have come to Sacramento, Jeff, and we would have been companions. Yes, and we will, would have learned Spanish together. That's right. Mexican Spanish, right? There's nothing about Ijole. All right. So <laughs> uh, this this is not LDS news per se, but I'll appreciate Kurt's perspective as one who lives in Utah. Uh, over at Yahoo Money, they did a study that just showed that they ranked states by the number average uh, average savings account or average retirement balances is how they describe it. It's not just savings account, apparently probably 401k, everything else, right? Uh, Utah has the lowest average retirement balance in the country, about $300,000. Um, the lowest. It's followed by North Dakota at 310 and Washington DC residents only have 325. I don't even think there, there's, I don't think there's a direct correlation between like red states, blue states or anything like that here. If you look at the map of it, it's just kind of all over the place, honestly, which ones have the least and which ones have the most. But I'm mostly curious, Kurt, if you think anything, anything socio-religious about us might drive that. Like, is the fa- like larger Utah, larger families, single-income homes, um, well, just simply always, not saving? We're, or, we're always ranked in the like the highest of charitable giving, right? Like, uh, there is that too. Yeah, so, sure. does that play into it? Maybe that because of that 10 percent going elsewhere instead of into savings, or you know, yeah. they factor in food storage because. Uh, when this world turns upside down, we're going to be, you know, bargaining all sorts of dried wheat and such. Yes. Uh, yes. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. I would have never, you know, usually there's this uh, fiscal conservative feeling, you might say, but uh, that I would assume maybe we would rank a little higher. But uh, interesting. I, I can't imagine, especially with a uh, with a history of our, our leaders encouraging, you know, 
preparation and you know saving and staying out of yeah. debt. Uh, so that's what, that's interesting. One other perspective I saw on this that I'm not well versed enough in to speak a ton about, but I. I'd, some people noted that uh, Utah's politicians have been gutting public pensions for a very long time, and like that could play a role. But they're not the only state that's cutting public pensions, of course. Like that, that's not unique sure. to Utah necessarily. So, it's more food for thought. I wonder what drives that, and I wonder if anything about the the peculiarities we have as Latter Day Saints could drive that. And then what could be done about it, right? I mean, of course, I'm sure there's also there's there's plenty of. Utah, uh, as much as we try not to, uh, Mormons, we know we should we should be thrifty. We should not be um, be drawn in by the vain things of the world. But I, I think there's still a mentality as humans of like my neighbor has stuff, I want stuff like that. Of course, that happens. Like yeah. if, if that were the case, you wouldn't see like the McMansions of Lehigh would not be quite so ornate. Like, do you need the theater room? Do you need the theater room? You don't. And I'm not knocking you if you have the money to pay for it, but like. You know, I'd be like, we like to have stuff like anyone else. And I think you couple that with naturally bigger houses, which is one of my favorite things about the Utah real estate market. You can search there for a five bedroom home and they're everywhere. It's like not a problem. Huh. You search you search outside of Utah, Kurt. I don't know if you know this, less common to find <laughs> over four bedrooms plus an office. That's fun times. Um, give you a, another fun one that you're going to love, Kurt, because you love Jana Reese so much. So, mm. um, a survey done by the the Public Religion Institute, which and once again, we talked, I think they did one previously that also had a smallish sample of Latter-day Saints. And I think this comes with that same caveat. So take it as you will. Small, but they found that um, Latter-day Saints are essentially more likely to believe in QAnon than like other white, white evangelicals, Hispanic Protestants, and Latter-day Saints are most likely to believe in QAnon which is lovely. That's just delightful. They think that, um, I'm just, I'm really thrilled that that's where we are as a people right now that, uh, they say roughly 18% of members of the church believe the government media and financial worlds in the U S are controlled by a group of Satan worshiping pedophiles who run a global sex trafficking operation. I'm very happy to know that one in five of my fellow faith bearers might potentially believe that. That's, that's some thrilling news right there. Comes up all the time in Sunday school, Jeff. It's just uh, crazy. <laughs> That's like that, that's that's just that's uh, why the question then is assuming the data holds up and the sample isn't too small to be representative, right? Let's assume let's assume we could extrapolate this out, and it then this is legitimate. If you interviewed a thousand Latter Day Saints, you still get the same results. Um, why do you think this would be the case then, Kurt? Because uh... which you know what happened to like you know education is power and all that. Why why do you think we? And my social media feed would seem to verify this claim, but I'm curious why you think it would be the case. Yeah, well, I just think just the uh, just the way that social media has gone and the way that information is distributed and shared and, you know, it just wasn't this. I, I feel like this type of thing w- could have never been possible in the early 90s, right? Or um, yeah. and, and, you know, even just the, the change in the media landscape of, <clears throat> you know, where you know, we've talked about this before, just, I, I don't really know where I go to get certain news that I can overly trust and information. Right. And so I generally just avoid it altogether, which probably isn't a responsible thing to do, but Biden, I, Biden is president. Doesn't Kurt. Oh, really? Yeah. It's oh, when did this? Okay. Um, January, January, <laughs> as it turns out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's, there's in this world, there's so much, it's so easy to, to jump onto a, 
uh, a current of thought and, and you go down to these wormholes with, you know, groups and subgroups and, and suddenly you, you get that sweet aunt that shares that article and, <laughs> and, there, and there it goes. I don't know. I, I wish I knew. It's bizarre. I don't know if it's because we have a funny history within our own church, which, you know, it's different, right? A lot of the things that we believe to be true. I don't know if that just lends itself to us thinking other bonkers things could be true. But if if so, folks, I've got a Hiram Page you might like to meet. All right. He got shut down pretty quickly. <laughs> this is okay. modern day Hiram Page. Also, also in Witnesses, they deal a little bit with Hiram Page. I think everyone should study up on the Hiram Page affair because it might. I think there are some some good lessons for us to learn that could be ported over to the fine world of conspiracy. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Kurt, you believe all this stuff. So, I mean, tell us why. <laughs> for the record, I do not believe all this stuff. <laughs> uh, no, I have no idea why it, why it happens and I, and I wish it wouldn't. And uh, I wish we could just all gather around our you know, ABC news with Walter Cronkite. I don't know. Was he on ABC? I don't know. And just hear, hear the, the going ons in the world and, and uh, just keep going forward. But now it's just a mess of information out there. It's, oh, and uh, Walter Cronkite anchored the CBS. Evening, CBS. Sorry, right. it's before my times. So. I've told you, my friend, it's very simple. Very, very simple. <laughs> just read the AP Newswire. And if you want to watch something, watch PBS News and then call today. You're good. Okay. Haven't very, I sent you? Helpful. Haven't I sent you that Matrix? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, the Matrix is helpful. Yeah. They update it all the time. It's pretty good. I think I think it holds pretty true. Nice, and it's legit. Like I know what I'm consuming when I listen to Pod Save America. I know what I'm listening to. Like yeah. I completely get it. I know I'm listening to former Obama staffers like rag on conservatives, but I know that's what I'm listening to. And you take some things with a grain of salt. Like sure, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Which is why I flip around and then I listen to Joel Osteen or something. I don't know what I'm doing anyway. <laughs> Good old Joel. All right. So uh, the Sudanese government leaders visited church headquarters, Jeff. I don't know if you were aware. That's a cool. delegation of government leaders from the Republic of the Sudan was in Salt Lake City, Utah, this week to meet with senior leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I have these awesome pictures of President Nelson shaking hands with uh, various political leaders there and walking around touring Temple Square and... Um, so the six-member delegation heard stories about the church's pioneer history and it toured Temple Square. The dignitaries also learned more about the church's charitable work with stops at Welfare Square and the humanitarian centers and the Bishop's Central Storehouse. So, you know, the That's typical cool. circuit of uh, stops here in Salt Lake. But uh, it's always cool to just see uh, us engaging with uh, international leaders. And and uh, hopefully this helps move the work forward in, in that part of the work and in that part of the, that part of the world. Yeah. So. Well, if we can't, so I think this is this one's very interesting too that we've we're doing this. So last year it was a big deal because Elder, I think it was only last year, but Elder Bednar uh, went to Sudan. Yeah, it was before COVID started in February 2020. He went to Khartoum, the capital of Sudan. This is a big deal. Like this is Sudan is a it's an Islamic country, has very deep uh, Islamic roots. That's how it is. Um, it's south of Egypt, if you don't know where Sudan is. Okay. So if you got Egypt there in the corner of Africa, just south of that, it's got some coastline on the Red Sea. Part of Sudan got clipped off 10 years ago to form the new country of South Sudan uh, because of the ethnic minority that was not Arab. Sudan's basically an Arab country. Um, wanted to do their own thing, which is a nice uh, euphemistic way of explaining the whole problem. But Sudan had a public uprising in 2019 that resulted in the ouster of longtime dictator Omar, Omar uh, al-Bashir, who was a cruel dictator who uh, pushed oppressive Islam on people overall, we would say. And um, 
it's kind of in a new a new place as a country. It's transitioning, and I hope they succeed. Their the goal is to develop a a a multi pluralistic democracy that can embrace other religions, whatever they may be. I'm, Sudan doesn't have um, huge uh, religious minorities, for example. I mean, let's but I know you know the Sunni Islam. Let's see, let's do a quick breakdown here. But Sudan is five percent Christian, for example. Uh, but it's 90% Muslim. Um, anyway, so it's cool. I'm glad they're doing this. Who knows what this means for the future? I don't expect missionaries called to Sudan anytime soon. Um, just like you don't see them. I mean, we do have missionaries in Turkey, but I don't think we have missionaries in Iraq. I don't think we do. Um, but who knows? Once upon a time, we had missionaries in Iran before uh, 1979 when all that went down, right? But cool stuff. I'll, I, I'm going to geek out about international affairs and you have to stop me, Kurt. This, hey, this is where... Uh, I am in over my head, Jeff. That's why I'm glad you're here on this to break it down for us. The point is Sudan's trying to be a, a more open country and embrace religious freedom in the true in the the sense I like to think of it. And I've railed on this before on the show. I hate religious freedom in our domestic context in the US and the things we talk about. It just it's just I don't whatever. But internationally, this is what I love to see. Countries where you straight up have not had a freedom perhaps to worship as you should without actual like legit oppression by the state i think that's a wonderful thing to see yeah, about. yeah I, love I think it. i think we take it for granted in the united states and that what we define as oppression is like you know we're, we're literally having arguments about baking cakes when we get down to it right it's it's different here so um well what better moment than to talk about mr tad callister i'm gonna call him mr because he's nothing in the church he's mr tad callister he's, he's an uh, america's general authority right okay that's fine but you know what if we're being dissuaded from calling old bishops bishop and old stake president's president. Why do we still refer to general authorities as elder? Like we need consistency with this, right? Or, right? I don't know. So the Church News published an article by Elder Callister uh, a few days ago, basically an op-ed um, where he talks about a fence at the top or an ambulance at the bottom, which is a which tells you nothing about what he's going to get into, right? Basically, the piece is primarily about the importance of the nuclear family, how a family is the fundamental unit to overcome the ills of society. And I think that's an argument all of us can get behind. Yes. I, completely, I completely agree with that. Um, but this has caused a little bit of a, a tizzy in some parts of social media, Twitter, not least among them, uh, with folks taking issue with kind of the way he presents his argument. And I agree with parts of this because he kind of presents it in a zero-sum mentality. Like basically, he, go, he basically goes after governments for trying to play any kind of a role in the crafting of a well-being society and saying the government cannot replace that, right? The government can't replace these things, which I also think is true, but he's treating it as if there are people out there saying like, you don't need a family, you have the government. And I've never seen anyone say that. <laughs> I've seen I've seen us debate different government programs and what value they might have. And usually the idea is to help families is my understanding. And I think it's totally fair in a political sphere for us to weigh those data points and have those disagreements. Um, but he's kind of just like scapegoating like all of the government here, just straight up just saying government is stupid. He even quotes, and this is the other thing that got people going. He quotes former U.S. Attorney General William Barr, who is the AG under President Trump. And the quote he takes this from is when William Barr spoke at Notre Dame, um, Anybody, he was speaking at Notre Dame, but he was also there in a pretty partisan way because he was going out of his way to talk about the accomplishments of the Trump administration using pretty caustic language. And I'll read this quote that he takes from William Barr. And the issue I have with this is that 
I don't mind that you quote controversial people, but this is what he's quoting to make his case. He says, quote, instead of addressing the underlying cause, we have the state in the role of alleviator of bad consequences. So the reaction to growing Ill- illegitimacy is not sexual responsibility, but abortion. The reaction to drug addiction is safe injection sites. The solution to the breakdown of the family is for the state to set up itself as the ersatz husband for single mothers and the ersatz father to their children. The call comes for more and more social programs to deal with the wreckage. While we think we are solving problems, we are underwriting them. End quote. And then he says how right he is. And he speaks of some more things. He talks about the colonists, which is um, that they knew we needed God. But I think we should also be careful talking about the colonists because the colonists who needed God were also wiping out Native Americans. But, uh, you know, I mean, things there's a, there's a I don't know. Kurt, I'm curious about your thoughts on this piece since you've read it. I imagine we see things a little bit differently in this realm. And I want to be clear, like I'm I'm all for preaching the importance of the family. And that's a great ideal. For yeah. us to work toward, and we want to work toward a case where yes, the family is a, is the bedrock of society, where it is a solution to many societies' ills. And if we can focus on that, we can see good progress as a society. But I don't fully get why we have to rag on this idea that really no one, I know, I don't know anyone that has it that the government is the one to replace all of that. I don't feel that way at all. I don't think the government replaces things, but I recognize, especially during a year of a pandemic, that. I think the government can play a positive role in things. I think really the thing to talk about would be better like government corruption. Talk instead about bad governments contributing to the demise of the family as opposed to government uh, overall. Yeah. I have some more to say, but I'm curious what you think after reading this and where, where you, what you think of the controversy surrounding it. Yeah. So uh, first of all, a few things like I appreciate articles like this for, for various reasons that I would much rather have more articles like this where a, a former general authority is really sh- sharing a strong opinion piece rather than um, just opinions not being shared and just this, you know, this front of neutrality. Like, oh, you know, I, you know, we've talked about this before with it. We, uh, you know, me being more of a conservative, conservative politically individual, yeah. still I could see in, maybe where President or Ezra Taft Benson, when he was Elder Benson, sort of went off the rails at times. But at the same time, I appreciate that I knew where he stood, right? And so right. I appreciate that Elder Callister wrote this this piece, and and we know where he stands. I, there's many parts that I agree with, and um, I think it comes down to, and I, and I appreciate your perspective that I don't see where people are maybe, uh, you know, championing the, the government that, that is here to replace religion. But at the same time, I feel like over time, the government has touched a lot of religious stuff like like marriage, like uh, which was religions before it was the government's and no. uh, things like, you know, obviously he mentions abortion in here. Um, I don't think anybody should be surprised where the church stands with abortion. I felt that with Elder Anderson's recent talk where everybody was sort of up in arms. I can't believe he said this about abortion. I'm thinking, well, at what point did you think the church changed on its stance with abortion and Elder Anderson and, and now Elder Callister sort of perpetuating that thought and, and putting it out there. So um, I can see how, uh, how people could disagree with this and, and, uh, you know, online and different social media circles, there's sort of this uproar about, I can't believe him and personal attacks on Elder Callister is like, Hey, like, let's just get the dialogue open and get people talking rather than saying, you know, Oh, he's just, crazy and this is what the wrong with the church and it's like no like he's just sharing an opinion let's talk about it and uh and i think there it is worth talking about how 
because I, I feel like over time that the role and the um, the prominence of the nuclear family and the benefit that that brings to society gets missed. And then we start, I think I forgot how he terms it, but we start arguing about these, uh, what do you say, the branches rather than the roots, you know, uh, yeah, where if, I feel like we go to those roots, which is a lot of that is the, um, the, the family. And that's, I feel like the church plays an important role of, of being the, the champion of the family so that that can perpetuate to maybe minimizing some of these other uh, problems at the bottom of the hill with the ambulance at sea to use his analogy. So I don't know. What do you, so, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm with you. All. I, I like that you did bring up the idea that since he is emeritus, he can be a little more candid in a right. sense. I think, I think I, I like that. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, but at the same time, the issue I take with this is the way it's been published. It's in the church news. Mm-hmm. The byline just had the byline just says elder Tad R. Callister, right? And only at the bottom does it say Elder Tad R. Callister is an Emeritus General Authority 70 and former Sunday School General President. So it has that little thing, but it doesn't mention this is like an op-ed and this is coming from the church news. I think the pro- my, my main issue with this is is the outlet, how it's been done, and then the way he's been presented. Because I think there are, of, I don't know who exactly reads church news, but I, it's Latter-day Saint faithful, I would assume. And by failing to distinguish this as an op-ed, I think thousands of people are going to read this and for many, it will confirm their already held views. They're going to say, see, a church leader says, you know, oh, those liberals are going to ruin stuff. The government is bad. I think like this is driving a wedge where, where President Oaks talked, for example, in the last conference, I think helped to, was, did a good job helping this hopefully expand where we are with issues like this and politically and understanding these things and, and, and realizing that we can have diverse views. And now you have someone who is no longer a church representative having his own views, which is fine, but I feel like it's really being presented like it's coming from the church. So I think the outlet and the byline and all that, I think, I think frankly, church news dropped the ball there. And if they're going to run things like this, they should go out of their way to make sure that they know this is an opinion piece. This is not an official viewpoint of the church. That should definitely be in there because any op-ed, opinion columns for one, even sometimes come with disclaimers. They don't represent the official viewpoint of like the New York Times or, or elsewhere. Mm. Church do better in this regard yeah. because you blur the line really badly here and give a lot of saints the wrong idea. Because the church uh, doesn't typically have like an opinion section or an op-ed section, right? Yeah. Because I'm looking at this like, well, if this is the church news, like I want to read this for church news. This isn't church news. This is a guy named Tad Callister's idea that's backed up in some parts by the family proclamation and elsewhere. But it's mostly like he clearly is a, you know, more of an anti-government conservative. And that's many people in our faith. Sure. And he's using that again as a scapegoat for a lot of other issues. Yeah. And I can't say this enough. Like I, I'm all for the family being part of the biggest solution, but I think why can't it be both? The family is a core to this, but maybe there are some things that are positive solutions that we can do at a governmental level that help with issues like that. I mean, are people complaining about better child tax credits? That helps families have more money. That's, and this is just in the US. That's the other thing with this. Like, yeah. is the church news just for an American audience? Because I think you could probably talk to a lot of our fellow Latter-day Saints in European countries who might say, like, my gov- my country has more robust social programs, and I feel like our families are doing well because of it. I mean, there's a lot of metrics that show that the nuclear family, as he phrases it, I love that he's falling back on the nuclear family. It's a very 1950s notion of yeah. the family. It's basically like mom, dad, you know, Bud and Jenny and the dog living in the suburbs. That's the nuclear family. And it's funny to talk about the nuclear family because the nuclear family literally implies that there is some distance between your core family and aunts and uncles or grandparents. Whereas we have other societies in the world, I don't even, all government structures, you know, whatever, 
that might have actually like non-nuclear families that are tighter families. You might have grandma and grandpa live with you and that's a normal part of their countries culturally. You might, I think it's, I think there's a lot of American exceptionalism at play here when you're trying to frame everything around the idea of what was like Eisenhowerian America in the 1950s, that that is the norm for, and should be for everyone. I mean, because that's not always the, I like, don't you want to be closer to all of your family? Don't we preach that in the church? Isn't that the idea that we're united together across the generations? And by saying nuclear family, you're very much saying, no, no, no. Grandma and grandpa did their thing. They're retired. They travel. They live by themselves. And like, you're going to tell saints that might, I just, yeah, I feel like there's just so much here that's, that's driving wedges unnecessarily. And I, I think you could easily talk about the importance and the value of the family and do so in a way that isn't seeking a villain at the same time. Mm. Um, mm. And I'm not even like saying I back government is the is the great good of all things. Like I believe government can do good when it does good and when it's well run. And I work in government. I know how much government is run horribly, right? And how much waste. It, I, I know that. Yeah. Um, but I think it can play a positive role in our lives if we demand that and if we let it be so, um, as opposed to something that's just inherently wrong, right? Yeah. Um, and that's... Uh, so I think that's what for me. For me, even all that aside, I don't mind disagreements about the case. I just hate that this was run in the church news. Yeah, that 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 so really helps for me to understand that and uh, see where you're coming from. Maybe where others are coming from. I would love it if you know. I feel like most people just to be like the churches shouldn't do articles like this. They should dismiss this or whatever. Um, but to me, it's like I would love to have a, a follow up article of maybe the different the other side of, of things from another you know Elder Jensen or somebody who's maybe. Uh, leans the other way a little bit more that maybe breaks it down from that perspective. I feel like just the more dialogue we can facilitate, the better. And, uh, and that's going to help. Um, uh, cause I feel like that the goal, like we don't want the, you know, president Oaks talked about, we don't want political politics being in our, our churches or, you know, however he said it, obviously I didn't do a very good job restating it, but I feel like the answer isn't talking less about it. The answer is talking more about it in the right uh, environments and in the right context or like the church I, yeah. news. Right. Yeah. Um, and then that's over time that will perpetuate maybe more conservative members of the church saying like, Oh, so there's like good faithful, even emeritus general authorities who believe differently than me. Like maybe I'll give, be a little more open to that, that perspective. Yeah. You know? And that'd be nice, but I'm, I, I mean, I feel like that'd be awesome if we saw that, but I feel like what's going to happen here is everyone, like I said, is just going to take this as Bible and, and no one's going to come forward and write an opposing. You're not going to have like like uh, Marlon Jensen's not going to come in and write like an opposing viewpoint because these aren't presented as viewpoints. These are presented yeah, as just yeah. like here's something the church is publishing. Read it. like this isn't in the end sign, but you know, um, on the nuclear families, there's a good quote here from David Brooks. I'm pulling this from By Common Consent. There's an excellent uh, thought piece sort of analyzing this article on By Common Consent, especially going after. Um, because uh, Elder Callister kind of goes after like environmentalists just a little bit, saying that like it's an excuse for uh, having fewer kids. There are people who believe that that that's what you should do, but it was kind of a weird digression. But here's a good quote from from David Brooks, who is a conservative columnist, okay, in the New York Times. He says, "If you want to summarize the changes in family structure over the past century, the truest thing to say is this: We've made life freer for individuals and more unstable for families. We've made life better for adults, but worse for children. We've moved from big, interconnected, and." extended families, which helped protect the most vulnerable people in society from the shocks of life 
to smaller detached nuclear families, which is a married couple and their children, which gave the most privileged people in society room to maximize their talents and expand their options. The shift from bigger and interconnected extended families to smaller and detached nuclear families ultimately led to a familial system that liberates the rich and ravages the working class and the poor. End quote. And that is, again, from a conservative commentator, which I, th- I thought that was interesting thought about why we get we get so hung up on the i mean joseph smith didn't even have a nuclear family right like it's just i don't know it's just yeah. funny like why yeah that would be an interesting thing to really explore with some some uh some people like him that uh because i it's so we 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 oversimplify things i mean that's just human nature and and we obviously we do it with with doctrines and in, in our in our community as a church and we sort of you know stamp use these words and terms and throw them around but then as we explore them further it's like oh there's a lot more nuance here then there should be. By the way, everyone, if you have thoughts on this and want to contact the church news about it, churchnews at deseretnews.com. They have a contact page. And I, I, I think sincerely, I think what Kurt is saying, what I'm saying, if you're mad about what Elder Callister wrote and don't, don't think it has a place in the church news, which I do, write in. If you also like Kurt's viewpoint of like, this is fine, but qualify it better. And, yeah. and then bring in other viewpoints, say that too, because I think that is good for us as a people. Yeah. Absolutely good for us as a people. Kurt, you're so good for me. Oh, I hope so, Jeff. I love it. Wow, it's already an hour into the show. What else do we want to talk about? Do we care about a new Pathways president? There's a new Pathways president. Yeah. Former uh, member of the General Sunday School presidency. Uh, solid guy. I've heard lots of good things. I've actually uh, tried to get him on the Leading Saints podcast, but uh, it, which still may happen. So we'll see. You did interview Elder Callister, though. I did, yeah. When he wrote his book. Yeah, he's, I've met him in person. He's a phenomenal individual. And so he's, <laughs> I wasn't in a bunker or anything, but <laughs> so. um, anyways, we can call it there if you want. We got a couple of random stories. There's a new well, book. We have to about- say happy birthday to President Irie. 88 years. Can't believe he's that old. I mean, he's, he's obviously, he's appearing more aged, but, uh, yeah. but man, when he was called, I mean, he was sort of the, the spunky young apostle for so long, you know, it's just interesting now that we're getting. Well, uh, we, we, we passed the baton of spunky young apostle Tilder Bednar. That's who, right. Yeah. That's right. So. All his his dynamism. Um, there's a new book out about the stories of Latter-day Saint, uh, Latter-day Saint prisoners of war who were involved in the Bataan Death March, which happened in the Philippines during World War II. You can check that out if you're so inclined. Uh, the uh, There's The Chosen is the greatest show ever, and the Daily Universe runs an article about it. It's awesome. I love it. So there we go. That's all I'm going to leave it at today. I think that sounds just fine. So, I, Kurt, I appreciate your viewpoints always. I think Thank you're, you. an, you're an intelligent, erudite, thoughtful individual. And I'm Thank you for you. making space for me, Jeff. So. I try to make space for everyone. I try to. It's true. I try to get out of my own head. Sometimes I have thoughts and I'll, like, I'll run them by my more moderate mom on things. And like I, I appreciate people's viewpoints because I want to see, like, am I being crazy and like irrational and, and just like too siloed in? It's good. Like it's always good. We can find, you know, common viewpoints. Yeah, so friends. It. Good conversations. Make a make a politically opposite friend this week, everybody. That's my cha- that's my challenge to you. But not too politically opposite. <laughs> Don't go towards the fringes, but you know. Don't go to like if if you are like a full blown like communist. Don't don't befriend somebody who's a QAnon believer. All right, you've. Although I would love to watch that conversation. <laughs> that, that could be a podcast of its own. Like it, yeah. A conspiracy theorist and a communist walk into a bar. No, walk into Sunday school. You see, it's uh... (laughs) a... We need that. We do. So, uh, Kurt, good luck with all of the various things going on at Leading Thanks, Jeff. 
Remember, folks, you can go to leadingsaints.com for all that dot, goodness. Dot so, work, Jeff. I knew that. Dot, dot com will still work, but you own dot com. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization, Jeff. I own a certain dot org URL that takes you somewhere else, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> I will. I'll, I will just. I will just tease it to you guys. It involves a, a variation on one of the very websites we were discussing on this podcast. Anyway, um, so good times. You're doing great stuff, Kurt. Subscribe to his show. Subscribe to all his podcast over wherever you get podcasts, folks. Whether that's uh, you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever podcast it may be. And junkie. likewise, yeah. And likewise, subscribe to this show and leave us a review. Do all those things for everybody. Kurt doesn't care about reviews, so don't worry about it. But leave me a review. I need it. I need the validation. So until then, everyone, we hope you have a tremendous week. Have a, for those of you in the U.S., we hope you had a great Memorial Day. And uh, as we get here into summer, so happy June, everybody. And until then, this has been This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff. That was Kurt. Be well, be holy. Be happy. Bye-bye.